hello there. Welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick. And in the Netherlands, we are officially again in lockdown number two. We all have to stay home. Only a few people can go to mass. And Christmas has been cancelled. I'll tell you all about it in this show. <laughs> Which is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. And I'm so grateful that I have that community of supporters. Thank you so much if you're one of them. And if you're not and you would like to help with this ministry and with these shows, then uh, by all means, take a look, Father Roderick, on Patreon. And if you sign up and become a monthly supporter, you get access to a second hour every week, another podcast called Father Roderick to the Max. And this week, I'm going to talk about uh, a rosary, praying the rosary as a form of post-COVID therapy. I'm not kidding you. I got that advice last week. I'll also give you the recipe, my favorite, one of my favorite recipes for creamy mushroom tagliatelle, so pasta. Um, I'll tell you what I learned on the internet. This is one of the best courses in just 10 minutes. I learned something essential for my work in TV and also could be interesting for other people that are uh, doing video editing. Um, I'll do a review of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur in my comic book section. We'll talk about uh, Christmas ideas in lockdown. Um, And, of course, I have to talk in the games section about Cyberpunk 2077. But that's not going to be part of this show. That's all going to be part of Father Roderick to the max exclusively for my patrons. So thank you for your support. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. What a week. So much has happened. Uh, Most uh, important or most impactful on me and on everyone here living in my village and in the town and in my country is another lockdown. Uh, We had some very strict um, uh, regulations uh, put in place a couple of weeks ago. However, they didn't work. People are just tired of all the rules, and so they did not really follow up on these uh, rules and regulations as much as they did in March. In March, it really helped flatten the curve very quickly. After a few weeks, uh, you know, we really went into the safe zone. That did not happen this time, and so instead of giving us more freedom around Christmas, the government was forced to um, to go- to put us all in another lockdown, which is. Of course, extremely difficult uh, because it's a, it's happening around this time. One of the uh, w- one of the exemptions in the Netherlands because of our our uh, constitution it are religious groups. We can still gather with as many people as we want, etc. Of course, no one does that. Every most well, the the big majority of the religious co- uh, communities are very very responsible. They don't want their they're faithful to, to become ill and to die, especially, you know, because in, in a lot of uh, religious groups, the majority of their members are vulnerable people of an advanced age. So you see a lot of self-regulation, and our bishops have been extremely uh, careful, and so for, for months now, we've only been allowed by the bishops to uh, gather with 30 persons. No matter the size of your church, whether you have a cathedral or a big, you know, as long as people can sit at a, a meter and a half away from each other, and there are all sorts of other precautions, um, you have to wear a, a mask and everything. Um, the uh, 
the, the maximum amount is 30, unless your church is even smaller and can't house 30 people at a safe distance. But most churches can cope, which means that the majority of our parishioners can't come to church. Uh, the people I miss the most are the families and children, uh, because most families will say, well, you know, we, we need to give priority to the, to the older people, the elderly, especially those that live alone, uh, because oftentimes it's their only contact that they have, their only social contact during the week. But after our government decided to put the country entirely in lockdown, which means you are discouraged to go outside if only for essential things, and of course if you want to go for a run or a walk alone or a bike ride, we like to ride our bikes, then that's okay. Um, but all the stores are closed except for the ones that provide us with essential uh, stuff like uh, food or toiletries, etc. Uh, so basically that means that only the small stores and the supermarkets are open. All the other stores are, are closed, uh, which I think will go a long way uh, in, to, uh, to reduce the number of infections because the last few weeks have been crazy. You know, we've been infected by that Black Thursday craze and then Cyber Monday and the streets everywhere were packed with people not keeping their distance. They all wanted to shop. And I think it's like an exaggerated reaction to the, the old, the, you know, this miserable year. People are trying to self-medicate, I think, just by spending and by buying stuff. So after seeing this, and I saw that in my own city here, which is not even a very big city, but Amsterdam, Rotterdam was even worse. Um, it was obvious that something needed to be done. So y you cannot not gather outside anymore with more than two people, which is especially important for younger people that tend to group together, especially now that their schools are closed as well. Um, but after this lockdown was announced last Tuesday, the bishops, two days later, announced that... Uh, uh, they're not going to close our churches entirely, but on Christmas Eve, which is usually the evening that a lot of people want to go to church, even if the rest of the year they don't care that much for going to church, um, that they, you know, you won't get all these problems at the door. If, if you would only allow 30 people in and you need to reserve your, your seat beforehand, then of course people would still try it out and, and gather and maybe gather in front of churches, etc., so the bishops have said, we're not going to do that. Um, the only way in which you can join your parishioners is by live stream. So that's what we're going to do. It means that my Christmas Eve Mass was cancelled uh, because the church where I was supposed to celebrate it has no live stream. So they, uh, they cancelled it. That was fireworks. Uh, they also cancelled fireworks, which is a big tradition in the Netherlands. Uh, usually the entire month of December, the only thing you hear outside are fireworks for some reason, even though it's only allowed on, on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, but uh, uh, they, 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 it's now illegal to, have to, to fire fireworks and to have them in your possession because uh, it also creates always, every year, a lot of um, uh, accidents. And since most of our hospitals are already over... Um, overloaded and the uh, personnel is over overworked um, they don't want that put, to put that extra strain but there are always some young people that are buying stuff illegally and then when when they think there's no police they'll they'll fire it off so if you hear some fireworks in the background it's just the unruly unruly youth here in the village <laughs> 
So, um, so that frees up my my Christmas Eve. I was a little bit sad that, uh, of course, I, I I would have loved to celebrate Christmas Eve in in a regular parish setting, but the downside of that was that I couldn't do an international mass on Christmas Eve. But now that that one parish mass has been cancelled, we have decided to do uh, a a live stream on Christmas Eve. And we're even going to work together with the local community here. So there's going to be a choir, there's going to be an organ, uh, there's going to be music. Um, We're going to sing songs. Uh, We we, we picked all the melodies that are... uh, that that are used in many other countries, so that if, even if you don't understand some of the words, you, you still recognize the melody. Uh, so we really are are trying to make it super, I don't know, cozy, comforting. And then we came up with another idea, which I'm very excited about, and uh, you'll undoubtedly see me post about that later on. We 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 have the idea to light the church only with candles. Not just because of that looks pretty, which, which I, I think it will, but we're going to make it symbolic. So we're going to invite people to, to sponsor a candle for someone in their own personal life that has made the world a little bit lighter this year. So instead of focusing on all the doom and gloom, we literally want Christmas Eve to be the celebration of the light that we bring to each other, that we bring to the world in the footsteps of the light of Christ. And also, I think, ultimately moved by by his light and by the Holy Spirit, who makes us a light for other people. And so I hope that a lot of people locally and maybe even the international community will, will join in that initiative and that we can light it. Every candle will have, will symbolize a person that will be at least symbolically present during that Mass, And I, I think it would be a wonderful way, even though we have to celebrate this in lockdown and no one can be present except for the ones who are celebrating or doing the liturgy and doing the technical aspects of it, that we can still have all these candles reminding us that we, of the fact that we are a very vibrant, beautiful, loving, caring community. Um, so anyway, those, are, those were my ideas for, for, for Christmas. But it is going to be... A very very strange time. Uh, this is going to last until mid November, uh, mid January, I think, until the nineteenth, and then they're going to reevaluate, see if it really has helped this lockdown. Um, this is also going to be quite a puzzle for my for my work because I have to start filming, uh, not not immediately, but uh, in a while, I have to uh, pick up the pace again. But if everyone is in lockdown, everything is in lockdown, it's always difficult to, to work and to find people that feel safe enough to be interviewed, etc. We'll see. We'll find a solution. Then, of course, we got the sad news yesterday. I'm recording this on, um, on Friday, December 18th. We got the news yesterday that um, uh, Jeremy Bullock, who, who is the actor, the British actor who played the first Boba Fett in the original trilogy, died uh, yesterday at the age of 75. And that made everyone sad, even though, you know, not everyone will will have known that he, he played Boba Fett because, of course, it's a masked ca- character. But, but uh, Jeremy was very well known for his 
loyalty to the fans. Uh, from er- the early days, he went to all the conventions, and he li- just liked it. He was a very British, kind, friendly, very polite guy, always took time for everyone, never really uh, displayed any you know, impatience or anything. Um, so he was very much loved by the fans. And even though later on, of course, he was replaced by other actors taking on the role of Boba Fett uh, until now, even in The Mandalorian, um, he was still a fan favorite. I met him twice, actually. The first time was in 1999 in Dallas during a sci-fi convention or the Sci-Fi Expo. Um, which was organized uh, in the run-up to the premiere of The Phantom Menace. And I happened to be in the United States specifically for that premiere. It's hard to imagine, but back in the days, uh, those movies would get a staggered release. So there was no, well, there was almost no internet uh, back then. Uh, (laughs) Sharing videos or sharing movies over the internet was completely non-existent um so uh companies would often premiere a movie in one country and then sometimes months later in other parts of the world that also had to do with the distribution of course these movies were distributed on real celluloid film they were not distributed digitally like right now so in order to save money they would sometimes do a premiere in one country and then when the majority of theaters stopped showing the movie they would literally ship the reels to Europe or to other countries so they could show the use the reels there for the premiere. So for The Phantom Menace, pre- premiere was going to be like three or four months later only. And back then I was doing a lot on the internet. I had a very big uh, fan site, Star Wars fan site called The Virtual Edition in which I tried to kind of guess the story and I made my own Photoshop pictures, etc. So I basically tried to reconstruct, based on all the rumors that I heard, what, what the movie would be about. And so I had a pretty large following back then. Um, so several people invited me to come over to the United States, and that's how I, how I made the trip. And uh, stayed in, uh, in San Francisco first, got to visit Skywalker Ranch, which was pretty cool. Um, and then I went to... Um, there was no Star Wars celebration back then. That was later. Or was it? No. I'm starting to doubt now. No, yes, there was also a Star Wars celebration, the first one, in Denver. So I went to that one. And then from there, I went to Dallas, to, to Texas. And that's where I actually saw the, the, the premiere. And there was this convention. And so, long story, <laughs> just to tell you that a lot of the actors were there. Kenny Baker was there. Um... Oh, uh, who else was there? The um, some of the smaller characters. Jeremy Bullock was there. Oh, uh, Billy D. Williams was there. Didn't make a very good impression on me. He was very, I don't know. He t- didn't seem to enjoy being there, and he he only would spend time with the fans if they would pay money for him for his signature, etc. So, um, yeah, there was some grumbling among the among the fans. This was in the early days of Star Wars fandom. So nowadays it's all very regulated. But back then you could just walk up to to um, uh, to the people behind the booths, and even they, though they were signing, they you could still chat with them and take a picture and whatnot. Uh, Peter Mayhew was there uh, with his wife, and uh, I even uh, had dinner with them and with a, a few other Star Wars friends. Um, 
And I, I, I constantly was pinching myself, like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm right there. The, 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 these actors that I have admired for my entire life, I, they're talking to me. They just ask me what my name is. And then I remember that Jeremy Bullock, um, I, I wanted his signature because I was already a big Boba Fett fan. So I wanted to have that nice photo and then with his dedication. And I was so stunned. I, I walked up to his booth, and there was no one there. There were a lot of other people. I, maybe it was because Billy D. Williams was also signing, so people were lining up for him. He was so popular back then. Um, and so Jeremy Bullock had a lot of time. He just, you know, he just sat there. I have nothing to do. So he just, we had a chat for, I don't know, like 20 minutes. And he was so kind. And, of course, I was a bit of a an alien there because I came from the Netherlands. So he was being from the UK. Uh, I was like, okay, another European here. That is so great. <laughs> and I'd just been ordained. Uh, so I was a, a priest. So he asked about that. And he was, it was such a different person compared to the role that he played. Um, but it was fun. I, I don't even think that we talked much about Star Wars. It was just a conversation. I don't, I don't remember much of it, but just, it was as if I had known him for for years, and um, I really uh, that was one of the highlights of of, of my time in in the U.S. Um, also, another encounter that I remember was uh, walking up to Gary Kurtz, who was uh, the producer of um, of A New Hope and uh, some of the other movies. And uh, again, that was like a, a, a like an hour long conversation. It were a few other of my friends were there too. Um, and it was, they talked about their friendship with Coppola and, and, and George Lucas. And we got all that, like, firsthand information and all the anecdotes. Nowadays, that's stuff that you read in books and you see them, uh, you know, in director's commentaries on the DVDs. But back then, we didn't have any of that. So I was, like, soaking it in. It's like, oh, I hope I remember all these details and these cool, cool anecdotes. Um, because it was so amazing to have someone who was had been involved in the production uh, of of something that I regarded almost as important as the Bible, you know, it was like, oh man, it was unbelievable. And what struck me with Jeremy was that he was so modest, and of course, he had only been on set uh, of The Empire Strikes Back for a day or something like that. It was almost nothing, so he was still getting used to all the fan admiration. You have to keep in mind that this was the first revival of Star Wars after decades of no Star Wars whatsoever, no fan activity. So he was still looking around like, I can't believe all these people want my autograph. And I've only been in a movie for, what is it, 30 seconds. <laughs> he was like, uh, but, but that's what I love about these fans, he said, and they're all so kind and, wow. Yeah, I've had... Uh, only good experiences with Star Wars actors. Um, and maybe it was also because this was in the early days of Star Wars fandom when it really felt there was no bitterness, there was nothing of that hypercritical attitude that you see nowadays. And still, as, a, as an older Star Wars fan, I, I look at all these younger people just <laughs> bombing everything they don't like. And it's like, we, when I was a, a younger Star Wars fan, 
Star Wars was always good. There was nothing that we didn't enjoy. Even the most, you know, in hindsight, maybe not the best novels or comics. Or We couldn't care less. It was Star Wars. We had been deprived from Star Wars for years and years and years. So anything Star Wars was good. And we would come back and say, please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> And, and so if I see all the entitled behavior of Star Wars fans nowadays, I'm like, oh, guys, you don't know how to appreciate Star Wars. In my days, we would, every grain of Star Wars was secret. And now you're being spoiled. You don't deserve Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know who I'm channeling here, but maybe Scotty. <laughs> Beam these fans up from here, Scotty. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and then, years and years and years later, I get to meet Jeremy Bullock again. This time, it was in Utrecht. And Utrecht is a city not far from where I currently live. Um, and this was in, in around the, the Last Jedi release. So, I'm not sure if it was before or after the premiere so I'm I'm on the short list of of Star Wars fans in the Netherlands that are uh, you know a little bit more high profile, being on TV and being a priest, and then being a Star Wars fan. So I get often invited to Star Wars events. So I I'd, I'd been to the premiere, and then there was this uh, Star Wars uh, experience. What was it called? Anyway, it was this big Star Wars exposition with the costumes and the models. It was so cool. I went there with my nephews. And uh, we were invited for the opening ceremony. And, and a lot of my friends of the Dutch garrison were, you know, they put on their costumes and they had this big entrance with stormtroopers and Darth Vader. And then, of course, the guest, uh, the, 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 the VIP of the day, and that was Jeremy Bullock, who would open the, uh, the exposition. And, uh, and then uh, there was this guy, one of the people who had organized it, he walked up to me and he said, Father Roderick, come with me, come with me, we're going upstairs. And so we go upstairs and there's this, you know, VIP reception uh, room. And he's like, he introduced me to Jeremy Bullock. He says, this is Father Roderick and he's a priest from the Netherlands and he's a massive Star Wars fan. And um, I'm pretty sure that he would, he just loves to just say hi. And so that's what I did. And of course, um, this this was years and years after, like that was in 2017. So that was like 18 years after Dallas. But I did mention the Dallas convention, uh, and I of course uh, did not expect him to, re to to remember me at all. That was like a two day event, and he must have seen thousands of people. But he did remember the convention, and so he was like, "Yeah, I remember that was one of the first conventions in the U.S. that I went to, and it was all Star Wars was all very." almost low-key compared to now and <laughs> but everyone was so friendly and um he'd, he'd been suffering from parkinson's disease for uh for a couple of years so you could tell he was he was um very quickly fatigued but he took the time to chat a little bit with me um i think his wife was there too um it was also kind of managing him a little bit super kind also very nice conversation it all felt very much like we're you know we're not on stage so we can just be normal <laughs> like uh, we're just entre nous no need for any uh how'd you say that 
uh, we can just peel off the layers and just be ourselves. And, and it was almost a relief for them that we also behaved just like regular people. And, uh, and so I took a few selfies with uh, Jeremy and then uh, he was pretty tired. So I, don't, I, I think he just went to the hotel and then back. And that is, turns out it was one of his last appearances. So soon after that, I, I think I read somewhere that he would uh, not, no longer go to conventions because of his health. And right around the same time, of course, Peter Mayhew also got, uh, you know, worsened health-wise and, and uh, died. And then, of course, recently we've got uh, David Prowse, who also died. It is, um, I mean, it's just the way life is. These people are in their 70s, sometimes even almost in their 80s. Um, so that generation of actors is, is going to, to, uh, to pass away. And a new generation will follow up and follow, follow in their footsteps. The only difference, I think, nowadays is that actors that get involved in Star Wars, um, they're smarter, I think. And they, the world has changed. And so they will diversify their portfolio and they will certainly prevent, from, prevent themselves from being typecast as, oh, that's that Star Wars girl or that Star Wars guy. And so you see a lot of these actors doing whatever they can to do what, what Harrison Ford did as the, one of the only actors back then, um, try to get other roles and try to be known not just for Star Wars. So otherwise you're doomed. You have to go to all these conventions to make some money and then that's what people re will remember. But th this old generation, like Jeremy Bullock, uh, he's been in one Doctor Who episode. He's been in, in, in a James Bond movie. It's very small roles. But he made his living from being Boba Fett and going to all these conventions, um, which, of course, is, a, I think, if, if you really embrace the fans, which he, he clearly did, not, everybody, not everyone is able to do that, but he liked doing what he did. Um, you know, that's, that's a, a good way to... Mm, well, to, to, to make sure that you get some return on investment. And for him, that was always like the big surprise of his life is that such a tiny role, which didn't pay anything. <laughs> you know, they paid him a couple of hundred bucks and that was it. And uh, there was almost no acting involved. However, you know, well, maybe a bit more than a, a couple of hundred bucks, but it was almost nothing compared with, of course, what his later... Uh, um, appearances uh, would pay that, that tiny small role that anyone could have gotten he was just lucky he felt uh, resulted in him basically being still loved and admired by fans from all over the world up until this very moment and if you see the outpour of sympathy uh, on, on the internet now that he's died I mean it's heartwarming people can be kind even though Star Wars fans can be vicious but they can also be very kind Maybe it's not the same Star Wars fans. I don't know. But, uh, but it's good. It's good to see that even from something that is objectively, of course, a sad event, natural event, but still sad, if someone that you like uh, passes away, it has, it has a, an upside. It has a, a very positive side effect, and that is bringing people together and maybe touching the humanity instead of the entitlement. I think we need to, Star Wars needs to be more here and less here.
That's that's what I think. It's it's a positive story. It's a story about hope. And well, my hope is that fans will learn over time to reflect that in in their behavior. All right, enough preaching. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Since we haven't talked for a while, of course I need to briefly touch upon the biggest news of the past two weeks, and that is the new Disney Plus lineup. Disney Plus clearly going in overdrive in hyperspace right now. And I think Disney Plus was launched exactly at the right moment. Nobody could have known how important Disney Plus would become so quickly. Of course, they had a an idea, Iger especially, he knew that they had to make that, that jump to digital distribution uh, and get to the homes of their customers. But he, of course, could have never guessed that all the other sources of revenue, especially the theme parks, which are a very important park, uh, part of the revenue of the Disney Corporation, all that would end with COVID, or at least temporarily end with COVID. And so they have heavily invested, and this is something that no one saw coming, at least I didn't, I think most of us didn't, is that they, they, they instead of just sitting back and waiting for COVID to go away, um, they just accelerated. There's like, okay, we need to build upon the success of the Mandalorian. We need to build on our catalogs and let's just go full force on this. And man, did they uh, get everyone excited with their uh, announced lineup. Um, of course, in a in a small, you know, little remark, uh, somewhere hidden in between all that fantastic news was also the announcement that they would ri- raise the price. You know, when they introduced Disney+, Plus, they deliberately, of course, set the price much lower than Netflix. Uh, and I'm not sure about Amazon. Amazon has always been rather cheap, um, at least here in the Netherlands. But, uh, but they definitely wanted to undercut Netflix. And Netflix has, had gone through a number of price hikes over time. So people were kind of on the fence. Do I want to keep two or three streaming... Uh, services and then when Disney came into the market with I think seven bucks a month or something like that it was a no-brainer especially for Star Wars and Marvel fans and so now that they have you they have hooked us with the Mandalorian and with all the I mean it is a great service I it is really good quality there's not as much on there as Netflix but you know it's all Disney so it's special. <laughs> Netflix, there's a lot of garbage. They have a lot, but the, it's, all, it's always a bit hit and miss. And you can also see that from the just the massive amount of shows that get canceled after just one or two seasons, which is very frustrating. So, But Disney is more curated, but also more essential. You don't want to... You, you can't get it anywhere else. And so uh, now that they have us, of course, they want to keep us. They don't want people to now unsubscribe and then take another subscription when the third season of The Mandalorian starts. And so that's why they announced all these series, which, of course, will be distributed in a staggered way so that you have to stay subscribed to see to watch it all. 
Um, so let me just uh, briefly go over that huge list. Of course, I can't really go into detail uh, about all these announcements. Um, let me see. I had a list somewhere in my browser with the entire lineup. Because this is not just Star Wars. Of course, Star Wars is the main thing that I was interested in. But there are also a lot of cool movies and uh, series that, you know, well, let me just read this. This is uh, a list I will link to it in the show notes. It lists everything that, that was announced. Uh, so there's going to be Monsters at Work based on Pixar's Monsters, Inc. That's probably for kids. Uh, it's fun, but hmm. then we're going to skip a few that I don't know what there are and not really interested. Beauty and the Beast prequel, live action show with Luke Evans and Josh Good. God uh, reprising their roles from the recent musical remake. Could be interesting. I don't know. Sounds interesting. Um, Turner and Hooch, hmm, probably a remake. Oh, Willow. I was very excited about Willow. A new adaptation of the fantasy movie created by George Lucas. Um, And it will, I think, be a sequel. I'm not sure. But, uh, But Willow was a really cool movie. Um, kind of still a bit in the shadows of uh, of Star Wars um, and and the Ewok movies, but it, it was a lovely story. And the special effects back then were were really groundbreaking. Now they look really old fashioned, but uh, the story as such, I think there is potential there. Zootopia Plus, uh, I loved Zootopia. That's one of those animated classics that I can watch over and over again. So I'm excited that there will be. More of Zootopia. Uh, Tiana uh, from The Princess and the Frog will get her own series. That's cool. I hope it's going to be with uh, music as well, because I love the music in uh, Princess and the Frog. Moana, same thing, new series. I love that animated movie. I only watched it recently. Loved it, loved it, loved it. The Mighty Ducks, that's probably cool for a slightly younger generation than I am from. Um, Pixar Popcorn, Cars... That's probably going to just be the breadcrumb stuff that they've already been doing, so not nothing too special. Uh, then they have what they call unscripted shows of Disney Plus, basically documentaries and stuff. So stuff that is not. Oh, one thing I hope they will not bring back is that horrific, shockingly horrific Muppets Now series. Have you watched that Muppets Now? It's horrendous. Oh, I so feel like an old man in a theater yelling at the at the stage. It's horrible. Oh, it's so overscripted. It's long in the tooth. There's no humor whatsoever. It's one of the worst things you can do to something great like the Muppets. Oh, I'm not going to talk about it. It's too... My doctor won't allow it. It's not good for my heart. But man, was it bad. Anyway. Uh, unscripted shows. Let's see if there's anything in there. No, nothing. Uh, Mickey Mouse documentary. And the magic of, the, of Animal Kingdom. That may be interesting. The rest, uh, I'm not sure. Ink and Paint, the story of women who worked in Disney's classic animated films. Yeah, they did a number of these um, making-off type of documentaries. Of course, they've got access to all the archives of Disney, so that's cool. Uh, National Geographic shows. I really haven't really checked out any of the National Geographic 
documentaries because there's just too much other cool stuff that I haven't seen yet. So National Geographic, I know it's there and I appreciate it and it's lovely made and everything, but I just I feel like I always have something more important to watch than the National Geographic stuff. And then upcoming movies. There's quite a bit of cool stuff here. Soul, uh, which is a Pixar movie, which will be on Disney+, Plus. no theatrical release as far as I know, will de- de- debut on Christmas Day. And it's about the afterlife. So that's going to be interesting, at least for me as a priest. Um, Raya and the Last Dragon could be interesting. Will first be available via Premiere Access. Oh, by the way, also they announced that there will be like a separate division or a section on Disney Plus called Stars, which will feature like the stuff that is not for kids. Um, which we all, and then they also bought a major stake in Hulu, I think. Um, so that's going to be interesting. They're going to diversify. They're going to be. There's going to be more on Disney Plus for the same. Well, of course, there is a price hike, but there will be even more than what they've announced. That's pretty cool. Aladdin spinoff. Uh, this time will center on the character of Prince Anders. Okay, I'm not so sure. I didn't really like the real uh, real life version of Aladdin. Um, Hocus Pocus 2 a lot of people are excited about that Sister Act 3 with Whoopi Goldberg coming back will it still work? I don't know Sister Act 1 was was funny but I don't know feels like they're pushing it a little bit here Three Men and a Baby That I don't know how many remakes they've done this was originally a French movie which was remade then and now they're going to be doing a remake of a remake meh uh, some sports stuff. What else? Pinocchio, a live-action version of the animated classic. Classic, directed. This is cool by Robert Zemeckis. Of course, the director of Back to the Future. So, uh, I don't know about a real-life version of Pinocchio. I'm not. Pinocchio is pretty dear to a lot of people because it's just one of those classics that's almost too sacred to touch. But it's Robert Zemeckis. Uh, I'm conflicted about that one. And then I'm super excited about this one. A sequel to Enchanted, which is maybe my favorite Disney movie. I'm not kidding you. And Enchanted, I saw that in theaters, and I just fell in love with everything in that movie. It was bright, cheerful. It showed like a, a romanticized version of Manhattan. It had cheerful songs, dance. It was like, oh, it was fantastic. I still put that soundtrack on almost on a weekly basis. I love that movie. And it's like I'm a sucker for a romantic movie, so it's also... ah. Uh, crazy good and then the sequel is going to be disenchanted it took them like 10 years to make a sequel oh i hope the music is going to be just as good as the first one and i hope we will not feel disenchanted after seeing it i mean they're giving already some material some some ammunition to the reviewers by calling it disenchanted and then peter pan and wendy that's interesting with jude law as captain hook i don't know about that one We'll have to wait and see. Then, Star Wars. Star Wars Andor. A TV show centering on Cash and Andor uh, before the events of Rogue One. Now, of course, that's a must-see. That was the first 
series next to The Mandalorian that they announced. Maybe even before The Mandalorian was announced, they were talking about Andor. It took them quite a while to get going with that. But that's pretty cool. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course, with Ian, Ian McGregor. They're going to shoot this uh, anytime now. I think like early in the new year that we'll start filming that. That's just going to be one season. It's going to be like a contained six-episode series or something like that. So it, it had better be good. You can't do a second season to uh, to repair if it doesn't work. But, of course, it was delayed, so maybe with a bit of extra time and rewriting, they can make it work. This one is a bit strange. The Acolyte, a show about the shadowy secrets and the emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. Okay, we don't know much about the High Republic. That's the whole thing that I talked about a couple of months ago. That was also postponed. You know, this new timeline, time period in the Star Wars uh, canon that is unexplored, it's still, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. We, do, we don't have, we don't know anything about that time, nor about the characters, so is this going to work if there are, if you don't have re- references? It's always a tricky thing. If you want to introduce something new to an existing fan base, will they eat it up will, will will they you know mandalorian is simple it's the cool boba fett like armor it takes place in the time frame that we're familiar with it features a lot of the characters and aliens and stormtroopers that we know so it's easy to relate to that but if you completely reboot it's still star wars but undoubtedly we'll have you know still a lot of things that we recognize but i don't know i i We'll have to wait and see. It's a risk. The Bad Batch, of course. That was a, just a spin-off of the Clone Wars. I guess it's just going to be just as good as the Clone Wars. So good. Star Wars Ahsoka. That was a huge surprise. Uh, it's a spin-off. The first spin-off of The Mandalorian featuring Rosario Dawson playing uh, Ahsoka. Um, which explains why she only got such a small role in The Mandalorian, which was a bit weird and it wasn't enough, definitely not enough. Now we know that it was just set up for the spin-off series. So it could be good. I'm just, I'm not yet completely convinced by Rosario Dawson um, because she, she plays, of course, a very mature uh, um, Ahsoka. Um, and, but also in her behavior, her character is so different from the Ahsoka that we know from the Clone Wars. So and, and it's obvious she's no longer a young girl, but we, we don't know this older Ahsoka very well. We've seen her, of course, in Star Wars Rebels, but I don't know. I still think they're going to do a good job um, because it's it's still linked to the Clone Wars, which was excellent. Then Star Wars Rangers of the New Republic, another spinoff from the Mandalorian. We I don't know much about this one, Rangers of the New Republic. But intriguing. Star Wars Lando. Now, everybody, of course, is like, oh, Lando, is this going to be a, like a, a modified sequel to the Solo movie? I would love it if they could continue that storyline because it felt like Solo deserved better. It just it didn't work for some reason, but it was still a good story. And I still, there were, there were a lot of things that were set up and I think we need to have resolution and not just in the form of a novel or a comic book. That's not enough. So maybe. And Lando, of course, 
going to be bring back the Millennium Falcon. How cool is that? Oh, yes. Unless this is going to be a prequel. Or is it going to be a sequel? Because the Falcon was actually quite damaged at the end of Solo. Hmm. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. I'm I'm saying it's probably going to be a sequel to Solo. To Solo. Rangers of the New Republic. Uh, already talked about that. Sorry. Visions. Short movies by anime creators of Japan. Yeah. Just... They've done stuff like that before. And a droid story, animated series focusing on a new droid mentored by R2-D2 and C-3PO. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Not my thing. All right, Marvel uh, also announced, this is going to be a long segment, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's a no-brainer. That's going to be good, and that's a must-see. WandaVision, very strange trailer so far. Um, interesting focusing on Scarlet Witch and Vision. I, it looks different, and that's what I like about it. it it's uh, it, it's something new, something we haven't seen before. Loki, that even made me more exciting, that trailer. Wow, that was so intriguing. Like, what's happening here? What's the story? Nobody knows, but it's Loki, so it already... It's already my favorite. From, from all the trailers, I'm thinking, oh, I must see that one. Hawkeye... Um, yeah, yeah, not my favorite character, but okay. Miss Marvel, um, I'm excited about that one because I really like the character of Miss Marvel in the comic book series. Um, Moon Knight, uh, the story of Mark Spector, a dark vigilante with moon-based powers. Okay, She-Hulk. Okay. <laughs> Always thought that the, I think it's a lawyer in real life, and then she turns into the Hulk, and okay, <laughs> I we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Marvel, what if I like that? It's an animated series. If certain events had happened differently, there's a Star Wars comic book series that I reviewed on Father Roderick to the Max, which does the same thing. I love that. Uh, there's also a Star Trek, Star Trek comic book series that does the same thing, uh, with old classic Star Trek episodes. Then with the, the, but happening in the J.J. Abrams uh, universe, very interesting. I always like these uh, what if parallel worlds ideas. Uh, Secret Invasion. Samuel L. Jackson is back as Nick Fury, who has to deal with an invasion of shape-changing alien scrolls. Okay, cool. Jackson said it's cool. Ironheart, female inventor, uh, inventing, creating the next generation version of Iron Man's armor. Armor Wars, more Iron Man stuff. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Late 2022. They're they're already pitching it now. So I was like, we're going to get another holiday special? Uh, Only in 2022. (laughs) I love Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm sure it will be hilarious. I Am Groot, series of animated shorts. Focusing on Groot. Cool. Then, some more movies uh, that are going to be added. Mary Poppins Returns. I love that movie. And The Lone Ranger, which was already on Netflix and wasn't worth watching on Netflix. (laughs) Anyway, that was it. Wow. Some great times ahead. I'm excited. And I'm sure you are too. All right. And with that, it is time to move over quickly to the Peculiar Bunch. (laughs) Catholics rock! 
peculiar ones who are always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and priests and bishops and popes, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So today I want to answer a question from one of my followers on Twitter, I think, or on Facebook. I think this was a question asked to me on Twitter. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Kevin Jones asks, uh, Hey, Father Roderick, can you say anything about your thoughts about if people should attend Mass in person during the pandemic, especially in areas with a high infection rate? What might you do in a high-risk area if you weren't a priest? Now, this, of course, is for some Catholics a very pertinent question because the situation in, in over, all over the world is very different from one place to another. In some countries, uh, the government has forbidden the churches to open um, so the lockdown was a total lockdown. It all depends, of course, on your constitution and on uh, the degree of religious freedom in your country. Uh, that is very well protected in, in the Netherlands, thankfully so, but also has a downside. Uh, we had some Protestant churches nearby here in the towns a little bit more to the east. They're part of our Dutch Bible Belt where, uh, you know, going to church is something you basically have to do to save your soul. And it's the, these are very, very much God-fearing people with the emphasis on fear. And so, <laughs> at least in my, I'm a Catholic, so sometimes I'm a little bit sensitive to all that doom and gloom in some Christian circles. But anyway, for them, going to church is absolutely necessary and vital and so even though most of the churches were restricting attendance to 30 people and were putting in place so many rules and regulations some of these bigger christian mega churches just opened the doors and everybody was sitting next to each other that would sing psalms and everything no masks no social distancing you see stuff like that happening also in the united states in some circles but man We've seen some huge spikes of infections and, and, a, and a lot of fallout from those events. And so, of course, the, in society, there's been a lot of pushback. Why do these churches get this exception? And they're in danger. These churches with their old-fashioned uh, be, uh, beliefs are endangering the health uh, with their fairy tales, our health, and they're infecting the country and whatnot. So there's... Uh, I th but there are also countries where, you know, the rules were so strict and then uh, it would be very um, uh, unfair that, for instance, theaters, movie theaters would be able to open. You could gather with hundreds of people on a market, but, but no one could go to church. Like, imagine if you live in, in Rome. No one, the, the churches have been closed for weeks and weeks and weeks. Whereas other places, people could gather. Well, I'm, I'm always, having been infected with COVID-19 myself and, and, and experiencing uh, the fallout of that disease, I'm still not recovered. I'm still uh, uh, having a lot of uh, very, well, pretty, pretty severe um, consequences of this, of this infection. Um, I'm very much in favor of, of a lockdown and a total lockdown, actually, the, our bishops have uh, ruled that it's not necessary to close the churches entirely, um, so only on Christmas Eve, as I mentioned. But 
oh, the, the rest of the, of the Sunday Masses are still going to be, you know, with 30 people in church. I think it's a risk. And I... 30 people is also nothing. If you only allow 30 people to, to attend Mass, you're still shutting out 90% of the people. And it has another side effect that I've noticed, and that is that in some parishes, they, took the re- they take it for granted. They just, well... But churches are open, people can go to church. So we don't have to do streaming video. We don't even have to, even if we have a camera, we don't need to address people at home. We don't publicize that there is a live stream. I'm thinking it's nonsense. We're making the same mistake that we've been making for 40 years now. And that is thinking, well, as long as people come to church, we don't have to go outside. We don't have to evangelize and reach out and meet people where they are. And, and so it, it's, it's, of course, a fake, in a certain way, a f- fake community. You, see, you only see a small portion, and you forget about all these people that uh, do not dare to go to church. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, what's the difference between 30 and no one going to church? At least you would, you would even the play field. So I'm, I'm more, you know, think I would be more for a total lockdown. Um, especially because Sunday obligation, which is an important thing in in, uh, in Catholic Church, has been lifted. Of course, the, the the Catholic Church does not want people to be sick and to die, or to infect other people, endanger other people. Well, I uh, since I've been infected in church during the rule that only thirty people could come to church, I I've been infected by a parishioner or a sacristan, and we don't know. Someone who didn't have symptoms, asymptomatic, but he was still able to transmit it to me, and I got seriously ill. And I got sick in September. It's now almost the end of the year, and I'm still very, well, not very sick, but this is going to take a a, a couple more months at least, and I'm following therapy and everything. So that's a pretty high price I had to pay for the bishops opening up the churches. Because, of course, if these churches had been closed, I would not have been infected, at least not there. So even the smallest amount of risk is still a risk and could have huge consequences, and I wonder if that is what God wants us to do. I'm always of the... My attitude is always a positive one. Like, you can't stop the world from breaking we live in a broken world things do go wrong we will have famine and wars and uh, earthquakes and and whatnot and and sometimes maybe global diseases pandemics like this one but god always works with us to to build his church and so we often think that there is only one way we're very dogmatic sometimes. We're a bit like the old-fashioned Mandalorians. This is the way. Which is, really? I mean, I would like to have a theological discussion with the Mandalorians about that, if I were a Mandalorian myself. I'm like, is that really the way? Do you really have to keep your mask on so you are still a, a, a true believer? You know, or is the mask a symbol of something else and... Is it still relevant today? And I don't know. Should you go in hiding? And anyway, I'm not going to venture into Star Wars territory again because then the show will never end. But I hope you get my gist. 
Um, I think we, we are often underestimating the creativity of the Holy Spirit and the way in which the, the, the church has always continued to grow, to grow against the odds, against the circumstances. We're a church of trouts. We go upstream. And if we go downstream too long, we, we, we don't survive. We forget what... <laughs> we, we, we lose our strength. So, I don't know. I think this, this is, a, this is a, an opportunity. That's why I'm still investing so much on, uh, in, in this international mass that I'm, that I'm streaming. I know that uh, I don't have the bandwidth or the energy to really uh, you know, expand that and advertising it. And, and so it's, it's a small community, but it's not about the numbers. This is about... I think the experience that there there is a real community there, and I think that um, those gatherings on Sunday are really touching people and helping them because that's the feedback that we get. So, who cares if it's eighty people, or two hundred, or two thousand, as long as something happens? That that is, and I'm just one priest. There are so many other parishes and priests all over the world and bishops and popes well well one pope <laughs> and one emeritus pope but anyway so uh, i just have to do what i can in given the circumstances and and i hope that priests all over the world will do the same but i i'm always a bit hesitant when people start to i understand where it comes from in in people where in countries where people don't feel um they're free to to express their faith or make choices based on their faith, where they're discriminated against. Um, sometimes uh, the governments are a little bit too rash and too black and white. Um, on the other hand, I was always like, don't forget that there is a, there is a strength in the church that will survive this. And, and so what is a lockdown of a couple of months? If you look at the church that has been there for more than 2,000 years. <laughs> Sometimes I'm thinking of people of little faith. Is this the time to start a culture war about this? Or is it also, is it also professing your faith? If you show your solidarity, if you, if you pray at home, if you follow Mass through stream, of course that is, for, certain, for, for a number of Catholics, that is a form of suffering, uh, of deprivation. But... We do, we do that deliberately during Lent, you know, and then we appreciate it so much more when we can, again, eat and drink and whatnot. This, why don't we approach this from a more spiritual uh, attitude? This, 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 yes, this is a difficult time for the church as well. Yes, we feel confined, we don't feel free, but that has been the case throughout religious history. Look at the Old Testament, it's full of... Of, of stories of people that had to live for decades in, in exile and were not free to, to openly uh, profess their faith. It has happened during the Reformation when, when, when Catholics had to hide in, in, in houses and build chapels that nobody could tell from the outside that it was churches because they were not allowed to have churches for, for, for centuries. Um, we survived that. So is, is it worth it to fight this fight or should we put our energy into the needs of the world in these dark times? I, I don't know. 
But you know me. I'm not that much of a culture warrior. I'd like to be a hope, a bringer of hope. Um, yeah. But then again, there is something to say for, uh, for all of that. Oh my gosh, it is already an hour into this episode. And I have my book section, which is huge because I've been trying to finish my Goodreads book reading challenge. And I'm almost there. I read um, 44 books now. 44 or 46? Anyway, I'm almost there. I only have to read one book every two days from now on. And then I'll be able to do what I promised myself to do. And that is to read uh, one book every week. So I've been catching up. And I wanted to give you a huge breakdown of my reading list. But I'll have to postpone that to next week. Uh, I've already read the book, so there's no urgency for this. Um, what can I do? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to wrap up. I also have some stuff that I wanted to share with you about my iPad. I ordered a Pencil 2, and I'm still debating on an iPad case. I need something to, to protect this device, but a lot of these cases are either expensive or bulky and heavy. So if you have any tips about your favorite uh, case for the iPad, I'm open for suggestions. Uh, we'll talk much more next week. Thanks for listening. And for those of you that are patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick, we'll talk more in Father Roderick to the max. Take care, and I'll see you next week. 